See if I can get refixed here. Lost the microphone. You wouldn't hear a word that I said. Anybody pleased with that this morning? Okay. Never mind, Roger. Okay. There we go. I don't know about you, but I've got an idea. If you are if you take seriously your Christian life, well, I can hear that, can't you? Anyway, if you take seriously your Christian life, sometimes you wonder about the world, don't you? Some of us have been around a while. We kind of feel like we're a little bit out of place, don't you? I, I, I do that. I do that from time to time. I feel a little bit out of place. And so I want to think about that in regard to the things I have to say this morning. Now, I call the lesson this. Have you lost that love and feeling. I'm not talking about your mate or somebody like that. That was kind of clever, wasn't it? Twist of an old song. Anyway, have you lost that love and feeling? And I want to take a passage and kind of turn it on its ear just a little bit, but I think it, not abuse it in any way, and I hope it's a, I hope it's a good use of it. And I, I want you to think on these things a little bit this, this morning, and maybe as we go from here in that way. We'll go to Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 3 and 4. Revelation 2, verses 2 through 4. And it should be on the screen, or you can look in your Bible as well. He says, it says there, as, as John is recording these words in the Revelation, he says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, talking about the church in Ephesus in particular, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. All good news. Then he throws in. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. I don't know exactly what he means by that. I've got ideas, shared it, shared it in lessons. I've heard others share it in lessons. Maybe their, their love for God has diminished and so forth. Their love for Christ has diminished in some way. And a lot of ideas come out of that. But I, I think about this in the light of how we respond to where we are, what we are, what's around us, and all of those things. I think we have a mixed concept of our lives and in the world where we are. And we look at things that are going on in our world, and sometimes we wonder, how in the world did things get to be like they are? And we feel a little bit like Peter wrote when he was writing his epistles about Christians who were, maybe were acceptable, but we didn't feel like we really fit into the world. And if you read what Peter has to write in his epistles, you get that idea from what he is saying there. So with that in mind, I kind of twist this a little bit from what John is writing to the church in Ephesus, but I think it's applicable to what he has to say there for you and for me. So let's take it in this direction. Perhaps some of us fall into that category and feel a little bit like old Rip Van Winkle, if you know that story. For when we look at the world around us, we simply wonder how in the world things could have gotten like they are. Maybe we've been asleep for 20 or more years. And, we, and when we awaken to the world around us, we wonder, how in the world could it have gotten like this? I think some of us can easily reflect upon a time when we felt like things were a little more in tune. Maybe a little more conservative culture was found in the previous century than we find immediately around us today. I think this is more than just a common longing for yesteryear or for the good old days. 
I think it may be certainly natural for us to long for familiar times, for a youth of the past, but maybe there's more to it than that. Go with me back to 1964. Take 1964 as an example. In the midst of a growing musical revolution in this country, the Beatles came to America. You're probably aware of that. You've probably heard of those people. If you haven't, where in the world have you been? But in 1964, when the Beatles came to America, of course, they were just probably the most notable or noticeable group of that British invasion that was making its way to America to, to put their music out there, to make money and so forth. They came in the 1960s, many of them. Anyway, on the evening that the Beatles were on the Ed Sullivan Show, on the Ed Sullivan Show, the church teens were at my parents' home. I was not a teen back then. I don't care what anybody says. Being only nine years old, I had never heard of the Beatles. I didn't know who they were. I didn't know why those young people were gathered around the television set. I didn't know what was going on. I knew about the Ed Sullivan show, but I didn't know who these guys were that were on there. And when they began to play, and the girls that were in our den watching it on television, making all kinds of noise, I didn't understand what was going on. I said, who are these guys? And they all thought I was out of my mind. Anyway, I soon learned. But I'm not really here to talk about the Beatles, except Except, as I would soon learn in our seeing our culture beginning to change, it wasn't too much time after that, I overheard my mother on a telephone call with another PTA mom, a close friend of hers. And in their conversation, only hearing one side of the conversation on the telephone, long before cell phones, I heard my mother say, my son will never wear his hair like that. He will never have bangs. When I think about that today, when I think about her words on that occasion, she could not. She could not imagine a world or a culture that was so different from that that present time, a culture that was changing, the culture that she was comfortable in her life, a culture that she had known. She could not imagine a culture so different from what she knew. And as you see now, she was only beginning to see and only marking a tiny, tiny fringe of that cultural shift. And so, as I said, maybe we take a look at the world and simply raise our hands in frustration. We say, I don't understand and I don't know why. There may be a sense of unfamiliarity to us in so many things that are around us. In that way, we may feel, and that's just the word that I want to emphasize, we may feel a bit lost, like we are out of our element, like we really don't know how to respond to what is happening around us in our culture. But I am again reminded of the words of an old hymn that we sing from time to time. When my love for man grows weak, 
When for stronger faith I seek. I think it is possible that when we are feeling lost, it is because we have lost something of that love and feeling for the people who live around us, who make up the world that we know. So let me offer you a few thoughts this morning in that regard, because I want you to emphasize, and I want to hold on to that word lost, that little word, L-O-S-T. For there comes a time that I think we know when we are lost. Whether you're feeling lost this morning or not is immaterial. There come times that we feel like we are lost, and there are different kinds of being lost, as you see. I mean, there's geographically being lost. That's being in a place you don't know exactly where you are. And most any of us can relate to being temporarily lost or temporarily disoriented. Now, we live in a time where GPS and a telephone, you know, your phone in your hand can tell you exactly where you are on a map. But that hasn't always been that way. And even with that, we sometimes wonder, where in the world are we? But I think any of us can relate to being temporarily disoriented in a place, in a building. I don't know about you, but if I step out of an elevator, I don't know whether to go to the right or the left. You can walk in knowing which is north, south, east, and west. I walk out of an elevator, I don't have a clue. Something about getting in that closed box and getting out just throws me completely out of balance. I don't want to hear that coming back at me later and talking about my mental condition, but I'm just being honest with you. Any of us can recognize being temporarily lost. I was thinking about an event this week that took place, and Talsi may remember this, cutting through the country on our way to Tyler, Texas. And we're just going down having a good old time uh, one of us was driving that didn't know where he, I mean, that person didn't know where he was going. All right. Anyway, we're driving along. We're talking. We're having a good time. There's a Y in the road. We're cutting across the country. We're not sticking to the interstates. We're cutting across the country, and we're going down the road. We had, had our map. We we're going down the road, and we're talking and having a good time, and suddenly I look up, and I say, you know, I don't think we're on the right road. I don't know where we are. And we came down, and we go going along a certain road, and we come across a water tower. And we were at Frognot, Texas. Anybody been to Frognot, Texas lately? <laughs> I think it's unincorporated, but there is a water tower there. We found our way on the map and got back on the road anyway, but cutting through the country, we ended up in Frognot, Texas. Sometimes we don't know where we are geographically. I think Pharaoh looked at Israel, and you can read there in Exodus 14 when he heard about Israel and where they were, he says, they're going to get swallowed up, lost into the wilderness. So the idea, he thought Israel was lost out there. And the writer of the book of Hebrews reminds us in chapter 11 that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going. He was in unfamiliar territory as he went. Sometimes we can be geographically displaced. That's one kind of being lost. Spent too much time with that, but you know what I mean by that. Some people are lost as to who they are. Not so much amnesia. That can happen. But more about being distracted from who you are supposed to be. Sometimes people get lost from who they are claiming to be and who they are supposed to be. It's kind of what Paul was getting at in Romans chapter 14, and people start acting like something other than they really are. 
in that sense, kind of lost from who you were supposed to be. and supposed to be God's people, but you're not really acting like God's people. A good example of that is in the story that Jesus tells of that prodigal son, the younger son who went away and wasted what his father had given to him. He lost track of who he was and where, what he was taught to me. He said, well, Russ, he was just showing up who he was. Now, I want you to understand. Notice verse 17 of Luke 15 where it says there, and when he came to himself... When he realized again for the first time in a while who he really was, that God is attention. That's a great story about not knowing who you are for a time. Sometimes we get lost from ourselves and who we were supposed to be. We need something to kind of kick us a little bit and get us back in. That's another kind of being lost. But a common sense of being lost is among Christians who feel like they are distant from God. Even sometimes very confident Christians struggle with their standing before God. In the words of Paul in Philippians 3, he talked about the things that he let go in his life and so forth. But he made a statement that kind of catches me in the midst of some of the things he's saying of what he had he'd gotten rid of and what he was doing. And he says, basically, I'm striving towards... If I may attain, I press on, if I may attain unto the resurrection, if, he didn't say when, he said if I may attain unto the resurrection. It's almost like it's a, a question in his mind whether he really is what he needs to be in that case. So sometimes even the most faithful, the most dedicated people can lose track of that. And maybe it's not uncommon sometimes for you and me or some like us to say, boy, I just, I just I, you know, I'm worried about me and I don't know whether I've got it right, whether, you know, we want to say, I'm going to heaven. Sometimes I say, boy, I hope, I hope I'm going to heaven. Sometimes you don't know where you are with God. Sometimes that happens. But the one I want to really emphasize, and where we are this morning, and I think it's really important, and maybe not one we emphasize nearly enough, is when you were lost or foreign to the world around you. We feel a great separation between us and the world around us, maybe generationally, maybe culturally, maybe in a lot of ways. We look at the world and say, boy, that's just not a part of me. And yes, I know we're taught not to love the world. He's talking about the character of the world we're not to love and put into our lives. But sometimes you just feel like, I don't know whether I can really figure out what's going on in the world and where I am. Noah must have felt some of that feeling. Because he's in a world that's so caught up in evil and so many things that were so foreign to God. But Noah found grace in the eyes of God. He's referred to as perfect in his generation, Genesis 6. He found grace in the eyes of God, though he was very foreign to the things that were going on around him. And maybe Elijah would be another example of that. When he looks at so many opposed to God, when he sees all these people are worshiping the idols, and he's trying to call them back to God, and then Finally, when it, things seem like they're getting turned around, Jezebel says, I'm going to do you in. Those weren't exact words, but you get the gist of it. Elijah said in 1 Kings 19 and verse 10, basically, I, only I am left. He felt all alone in the world. That's not just a song. I, only I am left. Some are easier to handle than others in being lost. Geographically, we can usually find the right road, get back on it, even when we're in Frognot, Texas. 
uh, we use a map or the equivalent, and we can get back to going. And that's a good thought in any, any aspect of it. If we lose or know who we are, we can still look to the image of who we believe we're trying to be, try to get back to it. And when lost from God, his word is there to guide us. But what do we do? What do we do when we are foreign to the world in which we live? How do we continue to live in a world that is so foreign to us? How do we even have a heart or a conscience for that world in which we are so different from what is around us? I think Paul was dealing with that as he wrote to the church in Corinth and how the world was so different. The lost may seem to be an inappropriate term, but I think it's a good one. It is just a statement of dissonance and difference between you and what is around you. I think sometimes we just want to close our windows, want to close our blinds, want to close our doors to the world around us and just say, I just don't want that to touch my life. But I think we have to recognize that it is impossible to completely isolate ourselves from the world. There were some who tried to do that. There were those who closed themselves off. They would build walls around themselves, figurative and literal, and try to isolate themselves from the world. But at the same time, we are taught to love the world. So it may be. So it may be. When we're taught to love people, so it may be when your love for mankind grows weak that you were lost to the world around you and the world is lost to you. Notice what I'm telling you. It's when our love for others gets weak. When we've lost love for people and what we may be and do for them is what we're talking about. For it is impossible to love that which you, to which you cannot really relate. When we close our minds and our hearts to the things around us, when we don't open our eyes to see and understand our times, we will tend to discard what we don't understand, what we don't like, and again separate ourselves, and that ability to love and understand what is around us is totally lost. But I want to remind you of something. And we'll come back to this. One of the greatest and best-known passages in the Bible is in the third chapter of John and the 16th verse. When the world was so foreign to God, so destroying of the Son that he loved and brought into this world, God so loved the world, it says. So I want you to consider some things. Consider these things this morning. I want to give you five quick things that you can consider before we get out of here. One is this. Love is a determined action that is born of desire. It's not just something that happens to you. It's not just an awakening of the mind. It's not just that, that figurative romance of, of immediately falling in love. Love is a determined action that is born of a desire to do. Paul wrote to the church, in Thessalonica, and he says, circumstances and other things have kept us apart from one another, but because, basically, he says, because of our desire for one another, we're going to see each other again. Love is a determined action 
that is born of that earnest desire, wanting to be, wanting to do, wanting to see, wanting to find. It's when we close our doors that we, we cease loving that which is around us. Love is a determined action that is born of an earnest, clear desire. Secondly, loving people in spite of their foreignness is a challenge, but that's what we're supposed to do. Their nature may be different from us in many respects, but we're to love them anyway. I don't know about your family, but we had, we had uh, three children, and my wife had a husband. I think she still does. And you know, things aren't, weren't always perfect in our family. I know one person in the family definitely wasn't always perfect, wasn't always lovable. I like to tell people I was always lovable, but I'm not always lovable. I want you to know that. I put it out there in public. Sometimes we have problems, don't we? Even with people that are the closest to us. Families can be torn apart. But yet generally we try to work out those differences in those places. But we're to, what I'm telling you is we're to love people anyway in spite of their foreignness to us. That doesn't mean embrace their evil. That doesn't mean we endorse what they do that is foreign from God. That's not what we're saying. But it is by our love for people that the gospel ever has a chance of reaching them. It's by our love of people that we're ever able to have an influence on their lives to help them, to change them, to benefit them. I want you to notice something. If you go back to Romans 5, there it is stated very clearly that God loved us in spite of our foreignness to him. But God demonstrated his love, verse 8, toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, what did he do? He sent his son to die for us. Even though we were foreign to him, he sent his son to die for us. It's a challenge for sure, but when that desire is there, you can do that. Love people in spite of the foreignness of their nature to you. And who knows what good might be done there. Thirdly, you might be in the same shoes as those who don't, you could be in the same shoes as those who don't understand, except for the grace of God. Did you ever wonder what your life would have been Maybe your parents or the people that raised you had not been what they had been. If you had not met the mate that you had met in your life, if you had not taken on the job that you have and you do, if you had not met the people that you've met, if you hadn't walked on the doors of this building and gotten to hear this lesson this morning. <laughs> Kidding a little bit at the end. But you ever imagine how your life would have been if that had been different? But for the grace of God is a phrase that we often use. We're talking about good fortune, providence perhaps. Paul, Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 1.15, as Kyle shared with us not too long ago, said it's a faithful saying that God sent his son into the world to save sinners. And notice Paul's statement then, of whom I am chief or foremost, of whom I am the prominent one. Paul said, basically, if it wasn't for the grace of God, I'd still be out here lost in the world. And that's true of all of us. You might be in those same shoes, the people that were not understanding, if it weren't for 
the grace of God and the opportunity and the blessings that came your way. Number four is this. There's no going back to a previous time. You're not going to go back to some other time. We may think about the good old days. We may think about things that were in the past, but we're not going back to those times. We can't go back and change the things that were before. I know a lot of us would like to go back, maybe undo a few things that were done somewhere along the line, or maybe we'd like to just do them all over again because we enjoyed them so much the first time, but we're not going backward. I only can think of one time in Scripture that appears time moved backward a little bit, and really that was just the shadow of the sun moved back. I don't know how exactly that worked. Time of Hezekiah. Maybe it stood still for a little while, but don't think about time going backward. We'd like to sometimes, wouldn't we? Been a lot of times when the bills were heavy, where problems were there, I'd like to go be back to being that child at home and let somebody else have those problems to deal with. But there is no going back to a previous time. We are where we are and we move forward at a steady pace. Things move forward second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, and year by year. They move forward and that's the way it works. I guess that's what prompted Paul to, to tell the church in Philippi. He said, I'm moving forward. Forget those things are behind. I press on, he tells them in Philippians 3. I press on. There is that forward movement. We've got to look around us. We've got to understand what is happening around us and with us, in us. We've got to see how it is affecting our lives and maybe even how it's changing us, sometimes for the negative, so that we can address it in our lives. It's not that we will ever be a part of the world in the sense of taking part in the things that are abhorrent to God, but that we understand that these are people just like us. And even when we don't understand the generations that follow after us very clearly, we're not going back to a previous time and we better get on board with understanding our times. And let me give you one more. Change for the better comes from within us. We need to be the change. Jesus talked about people are always looking outside to find someone who's bringing this, somebody who's changing this, someone who's doing this. He talked about the kingdom. People will say, well, there's a kingdom's coming over there. It's coming over there. They'll think about this person and that person, that speaker, this speaker, this person, that person. That person is the one that's bringing the change. But Jesus said, that's not the way it is. Luke 17, 20 and 21, what does he say? The kingdom is what is coming within you. It is the change within you. It is the change that you bring to the world in which you live. Change from the, for the better in our times, in ourselves, in our circumstances, in our communities. It comes from within us. My friends, we are not to love the character of the world. That's not the point. I think we, we see plenty of teaching about that, 1 John chapter 2, 15 and following. We're not to love the world, neither the things that are in the world. And he goes into a little more explicit detail and talking about characteristics there. We're not to love those things. But in the manner of God, we are to love people, to love people that make up the world, to help bring about that change. Remember John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As Paul later says, for a sinful world. He gave it to a sinful world. 
Not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, verse 17 says. Wow. To love the world in the way that we might be an influence in the world and be that change that we were just talking about in the world around us. So I offer to you the, the, the message to the church of Ephesus was intended to reinvigorate the love that had once driven them in the service of the Lord, I believe. Our need is to regain our Christ-like love, regain our Christ-like vision of the world out of that love for the people in the world round about us. Again, as I said, I fear. It's one of my fears that maybe, and I'm speaking, I guess, about myself as much as any, that become more and more a closed door to those who are around about. More and more just cutting off and saying, oh, that's just never going to change, never going to be different. I just, and I don't understand that. I look at things and I wonder, I don't understand the concept that drives that. Maybe you do too. Maybe you say that same thing. But if we stop loving the people, we're just saying, okay, good enough for you. Just go on your way. God didn't do it. Jesus didn't do it. Even Paul challenged us not to do it. We cannot do it. We cannot lose that love and feeling. This morning we will sing a song of invitation. We talked about God's love for us.